Hello, I'm Sam Breakgear and this is Brains Bite Back. You're listening to a very special episode of the podcast as this is another installment of our most dangerous countries on the internet edition. And today we'll be discussing what makes Russia such a dangerous online entity. My guest joining me today is a cyber threat intelligence analyst with over 15 years experience at the US Army and National Security Agency where she translated Mandarin. She now focuses her attention on dark web cyber threat intelligence, Charity Right. And for our Weird Wide Web piece, rain may soon be an effective source of renewable energy. This episode is brought to you by Publicize. Publicize is a digital PR company that stands out from other legacy agencies. They don't charge large retainers or simply send out press releases when you have something to announce. Instead, they have a transparent and modular approach to PR that ensures you only pay for what you need. They refer to this approach as growth communications for everyone, and it makes them the default option for tech startups looking to take their first steps in PR. If you want more information, you can request a free PR assessment at publicize.co and find a tailored PR strategy that works for you. And exclusively for BrainSpike back listeners, for a limited time only, those who sign up for a 12-month package will receive one month free. To claim this promotion, visit publicize.co slash BBB. Would you be able to explain to our listeners who you are and what you do and your experience in this industry of like cybersecurity? Okay, my name is Charity Wright. I started my career in the U.S. Army back in 2005, and I worked as a Chinese cryptologic language analyst at the National Security Agency. So I spent several years at NSA analyzing foreign intelligence and uh, really just fell in love with the Chinese language and with the Intel community. And then in 2015, I decided to transition into cybersecurity because I really feel like cyber is the future of warfare. So I jumped into that and I started doing cyber threat intelligence for big companies like Hilton Worldwide and Ernst & Young. And now I work for an intelligence vendor called Insights Cyber Intelligence and our sole job is to provide intelligence to big companies and organizations on which hackers and threat actors are targeting them and how they're doing it. That way they can defend themselves against those threats. Mm-hmm. I, I have to agree with you that I think you made the right move when when going into the cybersecurity industry because like you said, yeah, I, I think that you can see that many, many conflicts seem to be virtual in that sense. And there's these keyboard armies which are out there somewhat replacing regular armies, I guess. But I suppose we can get onto that. And especially since you chose Russia as the country which you believe to be one of the most dangerous countries on the internet, would you be able to share with our listeners why you think this is such a dangerous country, in your opinion, when it comes to the internet? For sure. Russia has always been a nation that is very focused on intelligence operations and they're very good at it. So what that means is they're working towards the objectives of their state and towards the leader, the objectives that the leader there has set out, which is President Putin. So a lot of it revolves around sovereignty, freedom, sometimes colonialism, whereas they're trying to expand state-sponsored operations outside of their own borders. 
And a lot of it revolves around political influence over other countries in order for them to achieve their own objectives. So very much like playing a game of chess. And what we've observed over the past couple of decades is that they haven't changed their playbook very much for, let's say, military operations, espionage operations, and influence operations. But instead, they've just grown and matured in the way that they're doing it. Uh, one example is disinformation campaigns, which is one aspect of what we in the military call psychological operations, which is essentially, it's like an art form of influencing people and a population somewhere in the world towards a certain uh, viewpoint or objective. And Russia has used it for decades, going back to early parts of military history, World War One and Two, they've used it to influence not only adversary populations, but also their own people. And what we're observing now in modern times is that Russia is still doing that around the world, but at an even larger scale. They've developed the Internet Research Agency, IRA, which is dedicated to operations like uh, disinformation and, you know, certain types of hacking operations. And there's also evidence that they've, you know, deployed military troops around the world to experiment in disinformation campaigns on smaller, more vulnerable populations, like in Africa. And they go in and they do these experiments and they find out what works and what doesn't work, depending on the target population. And in 2016, you know, we have evidence that we have observed that they were very heavily involved in influencing American culture, politics, and the election for the U.S. president. So that's something that we're still keeping a very close eye on, and we're trying to learn more about how they operate and how they conduct these types of disinformation campaigns. Yeah, it's very, very intelligent tactics, obviously. And I think the scary thing is, is that we know this is happening, yet is there anything we can do about it? Because it seems like they're just having fun <laughs> uh, and there's nothing we can really do. I mean, is there is there some measurements we can put in place or anything that we can do to reduce this or, or stop this in any way? Yeah, there's a couple different ways that we go about this. I think one, which is really important, is just raising awareness among the population, the general population. I think there's so many different sources of news and information that people often have issues trusting the media or trusting the people that they're listening to. Even experts on the topic, you know, I've, I've had people kind of question, like, how do we know this is real and not just a conspiracy theory? But it's really important for people to be knowledgeable that there are governments that are operating these kinds of disinformation campaigns, and they need to understand why. Each country that does this has their own objectives. So awareness is definitely a key part, uh, raising awareness and letting people know this is not just a conspiracy theory, this is actually happening, and we have quantitative evidence of it. So that's at the very human general population level. Another way we can counter this is for corporations like social media companies to not only collect data on how these false news posts are circulating, 
but also countering it. And, you know, we've seen Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, even YouTube, we've seen all of them step up and hire teams dedicated to this effort, dedicated towards tracking the disinformation when it happens and uh, following how it's shared and how it's spread, because that's really key to understanding how to defend against it. You know, recently Facebook, they post like, it's kind of like a, a notification appended to a post that is proven to be false news. It will alert you and say false news and then explain why, or even provide a link to why it is false. I think that's helpful. They're at least stepping up and providing that intelligence, that information on, hey, this is not true. Um, and here's evidence that it is not true. Or here's what we do know about this topic. So at the corporate level, social media platforms are taking more ownership of how people are using their platform and sharing this kind of disinformation. And then at a higher level, the government around the world are becoming more aware. They've tasked out uh, their intelligence teams to collect data on this, and they are working at promoting awareness at a very high level and making more effort to shut down any type of infrastructure or accounts that are propagating false information. I mean, it's, it's good the three of them are all working together, or at least with, I suppose, with those three combined, then you've got a healthy mm -hmm. defense against this kind of misinformation. But uh, when you touched upon governments just then, I'd be interested to know this, this isn't the first case of like governments meddling in other elections or, or impacting democracy. There are other governments, I'm sure, that currently doing this in the world and past governments which uh have done this as well in the past i think even the usa might have a history of this i'm not too knowledgeable on it but i mean how does russia's actions differ from previous countries or other current foreign governments at the moment would you say that's a good question you know i i can confirm the united states does have an entire branch of the military dedicated to psychological operations in the past what that looked like was more like wartime um, winning the hearts and minds of people in the nations where we're doing certain operations. But uh, as far as disinformation, I, I can't really speak to that. Russia is pretty unique when you compare them to how they, how they do these operations. They very much have interest in who takes power around the world because they understand that certain leaders are more likely to serve the interests of Russia and certain leaders are more likely to be cooperative with Russian leadership. And so understanding that they need kind of this, this presidential club at the top, they try to influence elections towards the candidates that they think will most likely serve the needs and interests of their own country. And of course, leaders around the world will say that, that that is their job to serve the needs and interests of their own constituency and their own people. But Russia tends to go a bit further than other countries. They tend to take it to a level that's actually destructive and disruptive um, to the point where in the 2016 election, we observed that they were trying to create chaos and confusion around the election system, around how to vote, around who's eligible to vote. They know how to divide a population in half. 
And, and that doesn't mean they're trying to change your mind about how you believe. It means they're actually trying to make you feel more extreme about your personal beliefs. So, for example, uh, before the 2016 elections, we had issues in America such as kneeling for the national anthem or Black Lives Matter against, you know, police brutality. And it was topics like this that really got Americans very fired up on both sides of the political spectrum, left and right. And we saw that the disinformation that Russia was pushing was to make people feel strongly against the other side. And it really created this huge divide, which resulted in, you know, riots and um, violence in Baltimore and certain areas of the country where there were racial tensions and Republicans and Democrats were split very extreme. We saw a lot of people that used to be kind of moderate and in the middle start taking left and right sides. And what happened in America was it created this very unsettling feeling that we don't really know our fellow Americans. Like, how can we all be Americans and live in the same country, but feel so differently about these things? And it really does weaken a democracy and weaken our electoral system when that happens. Russia understands that very well, and that is what they executed in the past. And so we are monitoring what's happening right now. What are they saying right now about coronavirus, about how President Trump is handling this pandemic for America? And we're monitoring what kind of criticism is being said about both and what's being propagated out there. Rumors like coronavirus is a U.S. bioweapon or U.S. soldiers are spreading coronavirus in Eastern Europe things like that. Yeah, it's it's good that you touched on coronavirus because I was hoping to to come on to that next. I think it was a report that said countries like Russia and China are looking to or will look to use the coronavirus to expand their influence or basically for for their own bidding. Do you think that the coronavirus might positively impact Russia's intentions here or their actions or how do you think the coronavirus might factor into this whole game that they've got playing? Yeah, from what we've seen so far, that there has been um, observations of certain narratives being spread and pushed in certain areas of the world. Russia has been spreading these narratives in the Eastern Europe bloc around, you know, kind of an anti-NATO theme, encouraging these former Soviet nations to cling to Russia and to leave the EU and uh, and, and separate themselves and distance themselves from NATO, which is really interesting because that does serve Russian interests and it allows Russia to kind of swoop in and give a sense of stability to these countries during a time of global instability. So, you know, we've observed many countries taking advantage of this opportunity and a lot of cyber criminals and hackers too. But Russia in particular, it's been interesting to watch what kind of narrative they're pushing. And we expected it more in the U.S. Maybe we just haven't seen the trends as much yet. But right now, the most obvious disinformation campaign is happening in Eastern Europe. Wow, I didn't know that. It was interesting. I saw something which kind of I thought to be a bit peculiar in the sense that apparently Russia 
announced that oh it's its response was nothing to brag about in that they admitted that they were completely underprepared for the coronavirus and for me i know that whatever they put out in russia i i expect them to be incredibly intelligent everything's like a chess game to them and mm. any information they put out isn't just for the sake of oh we're just sharing information it's like it serves a purpose there's an underlying purpose so it was really mm-hmm. surprising to see a headline where Russia and assuming obviously Putin as well, he's given it the seal of approval to tell the world this, that, oh, yeah, we're not that we weren't that prepared and um, we could have done better. It's almost it's bizarre to see that from a country which is usually so like we're the best. We've got everything under control. We're good. It, it was strange. So that that really threw me off. Maybe they were just I don't know for once being honest. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's funny. The first couple of weeks when this COVID started spreading worldwide, we were seeing infection rates go up dramatically all over the world, but still Russia's numbers were really low. And I was like, wait, what? Okay, well, everyone's looking at China and US and Italy, what's happening in Russia? Because oftentimes Russia's really good at creating diversions when they're about to make a power play or some kind of big political move. Um, or even a military move or a hack, they will often set up a diversion and they want everyone to look at some other piece of news so that you're not paying attention to them or thinking about what they might be doing. So I've kind of kept my eye on that. Putin passed uh, some kind of law that gave him more executive power. Also last year, they made a lot of progress with this sovereign internet law, which created kind of a sovereign runet like a Russian internet that can be um, held up, even if the rest of the World Wide Web is taken down, they'll still have an independent infrastructure. So I've been watching kind of like what's happening with that and are they making progress there? But I thought it was interesting when everybody else was reporting very high rates of infection and Russia's numbers were still very low. I find that to be unrealistic, but maybe they hadn't done the testing or maybe they were purposefully trying to hide their numbers or minimize the problem in their own country. But, you know, as of right now, that's speculation. Their numbers have gone up over the past few weeks. But it's interesting to see how they incite fear outside of their own borders and try to quell the fear within their own population. Mm. I'd be interested in talking about that as well. Like we've spoken about how Russia is a potential threat when it comes to information on the internet to other countries, but you touched upon almost like Russia having an intranet. And I think I remember hearing about that. And it was quite interesting because I was on a recent call with another cybersecurity expert who was talking about North Korea. And I didn't really know this, but it doesn't come as a huge surprise that North Korea just has an intranet. So there is no access to internet, obviously but they have their own version of mm-hmm. the internet just within that country. Do you think that Russia's moving towards something like that? And it it's not beyond belief that within a, a few years, even we might even see Russia moving towards uh, an intranet, or do you think that Russia, it would lose so much of its economy from, from perhaps like just being heavily involved in the world through the internet that they would never do that? Okay. That's a really good question. I'm going to suggest that, they're not going to be as extreme as North Korea or even China. However, they are developing this internet infrastructure that allows them to be very autonomous, meaning they'll still be able to access the World Wide Web, 
and allow their population to, but they have been implementing more and more restrictions on how Russians are allowed to utilize the internet, things they're allowed to see or access. So I think they'll, they'll definitely tighten control over what is allowed, but they'll still allow their people access to the rest of the world through the internet. I think their primary purpose for setting up a sovereign Russian internet is so that if there was a malicious attack that took down a lot of the world's internet infrastructure, they would stand untouched. They would still be able to operate their businesses, communicate with each other, and communicate to the outside from their own infrastructure, uh, which essentially is a great national defense strategy, but it could also be used in malicious ways to launch attacks and to be untouched and not be accountable to the rest of the world for taking down malicious infrastructure. For example, let's say if a Russian cyber criminal or a Russian state-sponsored threat group wanted to launch a major malware attack on, let's say, the United States or the UK or whoever they're attacking, they would be able to launch that attack. And when it comes time for people to request that that infrastructure be taken down or neutralized, if it's owned by the Russian government, they won't have to take down that malicious infrastructure. They won't have to be held accountable for that attack. It will be essentially an asset of the military. That's a scary concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it's an interesting power play by them. But on a more general sense, how, and this is my last question to you, how do you foresee this like digital landscape changing? I have asked this to pretty much all the cybersecurity experts I, I've featured so far. And it's never a very positive answer. So <laughs> I'm hoping you got something for me. I mean, I'm not I'm not holding my breath, but I'd be interested to know what you think is going to happen over the next five years. Um, over the next five years, I think it'll, it'll be interesting. I guess I always think further out. Sure, you can go 10 years if you think or, or however you foresee. I'm, yeah, I'd be interested to hear like what you think is going to evolve from this, whether it's five years, 10 years, whatever. Well, I, I've seen what's happened just in my own space in cyber threat intelligence in the past five years we've made huge progress at collecting intelligence on how threat actors are operating so that we can defend against them so i predict in the next five years we'll make even more progress i think really getting the right people in this industry more security vendors are coming out and they have budgets for hiring people into this industry so i'm hopeful you know, that we will be able to catch up to the bad guys and hold them accountable. Um, you know, even law enforcement has made huge progress in actually capturing some of these cyber criminals and holding them accountable and serving justice. So I do think that we are going to make great progress, but we have to also understand from the realistic point of view that there are a lot of very financially motivated criminals out there who are working to counter our efforts. So there's always an adversary and then there's always the defense on the other side. And I think as long as we're thinking out of the box and thinking creatively, we're going to make progress against them. But they're always striving to kind of stay one step ahead. So that's what we have to do as well. And then further out, I do predict that there will be kind of this kind of like a land grab over Internet space 
it seems to me like governments are taking more responsibility for the infrastructure, the internet infrastructure in their own country. And they're starting to understand how much power comes with owning parts of the internet. We've seen China, Russia, North Korea, um, you know, more communist and authoritarian states take control of the internet in their country, how people use it, what they're allowed to see, what's allowed to go in and out, and how it's used for the military and for the state purpose. And I predict that further out, let's say 10 years, over the next 10 years, we're going to see more countries start taking control and building out the internet infrastructure in their own country. Because essentially, information is the most valuable currency in the world. And whoever controls the flow of that information are the ones that have control of that inf- that very valuable currency. Yeah, we definitely face uh, some scary threats in that sense. And I think that's become increasingly clear that information is so valuable. more almost Well, I wouldn't say more than ever, but we just have so much more of it now and so much more access to it that it's, yes. it's become abundantly clear of how valuable it is. But nonetheless, mm-hmm. I, I think, yeah, it would be ridiculous to assume that any of these threats are going to go if we're good. But again, I do like your optimism that you started off with. It's nice to have that, <laughs> that glass half full approach, at least when it comes into this. And I think, yeah, you're right. Cybersecurity is getting stronger and, and it's a constant game with cat and mouse and we'll catch that mouse or however around. I don't know which way around it is. <laughs> yeah. You know what makes me so hopeful is we're seeing this um, partnership between the intelligence community uh, run at the government level and the private sector. And when you put those two together and you start sharing intelligence with each other, it enables everybody to block against the bad guys. It's kind of like taking the cover off and saying, hey, look, we know that these bad guys are operating off of this infrastructure and these are their tactics and here's how to defend against them. And the government's allowing us that information and allowing the private sector to offer them insight as well. It just enables everybody better defense against this threat. Good. That's a positive note. And uh, I'd love to finish on that and just keep it there. <laughs> awesome. I love it. Fantastic. Charity, if people want to follow you or keep up with uh, what you're doing, is that, what's the best way to do that? I'm on LinkedIn as Charity Wright or on Twitter at Charity W number four CTI. Fantastic. Charity, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Once again, thank you to our sponsor, Publicize. If you want to find out more about their PR packages, the free resources they have available, or receive a free PR assessment, you can visit their website. And for a limited time only, Brains Bite Back listeners will receive one month free with a 12-month package at publicize.co slash BBB. Weird Wide Web. Now I have to admit this story came out earlier this year and I haven't had a chance to cover it yet as there's been a backlog of interesting news pieces that we've been wanting to share for our side pieces. However, this was too interesting for me to let slip through the cracks. According to Engadget, researchers have developed a generator that uses a field-effective transitor-style structure to instantly produce voltage from water drops with a single drop able to create 140 volts or enough power to briefly light up 100 small LED bulbs. I left the UK because I hate the cold and the rain. However, if this is rolled out, I think the UK might become one of the most environmentally friendly countries on the planet, but I still won't go back there for the rain. That's our show. I'm glad you could join us. We've got a large collection of episodes to listen to. 
So visit sociable.co to check them out, or you can go check them out on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, a whole host of places. Just Google us or search for us wherever you get your podcasts and you'll probably find us there. So sign up to the Sociable newsletter, just go to sociable.co and add your name and your email and we'll keep you posted on what we're producing here. And until next time, stay safe and take care.